Welcome to A Beggar Who Found Bread. I'm your host, a beggar named Brad. I'm excited to report to you that I found bread, the bread of life, the promised Messiah, Yeshua of Nazareth. My hope is to reveal to others where this bread may be found, that they would learn to trust Adonai with all their heart and lean not to their own understanding. This episode, Spirit Thing. Shout out to the Newsboys, longtime contemporary Christian band, the Newsboys out of Australia. They're a staple on Christian radio and the song Spirit Thing off of their one of their earliest albums, Not Ashamed. Yeah, that goes way back. That's like three singers ago, I think. Well, if you've ever listened to K-Love or Air One, any of the other contemporary Christian radio stations, then you've most certainly heard the Newsboys. If you've given them more than an hour, you've heard the Newsboys, and possibly more than once. The way that classic rock stations play Van Halen is kind of the way Christian radio stations play the Newsboys. And again, they originated out of Australia, and the lineup has definitely changed since their inception in the late 1980s. The current lineup includes former DC talk crooner Michael Tate. No sign of the band slowing down. They keep producing new albums and touring the globe with positive faith-centered music and good on them. There was a movie based on their song, God's Not Dead, and it actually did pretty well at the box office overall. It featured Kevin Hercules Sorbo as the antagonist, an atheist philosophy professor who sets his sights on undermining the faith of a Christian student. Well, it's not really about the music or the movies. It's about the message, spirit thing. It's just a spirit thing. Yeah. In our last episode, we opened up the Apostle Paul's first letter to the believers in Corinth. We got through an overview of the first chapter, and for today, I believe we will do the same with chapter 2. Now, the first few chapters of this writing are fairly short, so covering one chapter in the time we have seems to work. Um, It is an overview. There's a lot more going on than what we will touch on. And as always, please make sure you you read this short letter in its entirety for the full flow and context of everything that's going on. Study to show yourself approved of God. And a quick reminder for some context, Paul is writing this letter in response to reports he has received of some of the goings-on within the assembly of believers which he planted in Corinth. He was used by Hashem to start this community of followers of Yeshua the Messiah. He had written them previously, and they had written him back. He mentions his earlier letter as well as their letter in this particular writing. Paul's gospel is that Gentiles, non-Jews who come to faith in Hashem through Yeshua, do not need to obtain Jewish identity to partake of the salvation of the Lord. Now, this caused, his presentation of this, caused some confusion among some believers, both Jewish and Gentile believers. 
The audience of this letter or the recipients of it are primarily Gentiles, God-fearing Gentiles who have come to belief in Yeshua as the Messiah. These Gentiles came out of deep pagan roots and beliefs, and they have become either they became God-fearers and followers of the Messiah Yeshua. Paul is a Torah-observant Pharisee, a Jew of Jews, and he spends time in this writing clearing some of these matters up in this letter, the confusion on his gospel, as well as some other stuff that's going on within this assembly that should not be going on. Paul or Shaul, his Hebrew name, addresses some of the division within the assembly, which was caused by people attaching themselves to the personality of whichever of the apostles discipled and or baptized them. I am of Shaul, I am of Apollos, I am of Kepha, and so on. I'm going to read through all of chapter 2 for right now, and there is a very natural flow into chapter three, and it kind of had me tripping over how far to go into this because there's there's so much um, um, connecting of the dots, and chapter three refers back to some of the things in chapter one, and and just holding the overall context of the letter together. Uh, we're, we're going to stick with chapter two for, for today. We're going to get through because there's enough in here um, for, for us to push on and we'll see how Adonai leads as we move forward in this. Um, we'll, we'll see how far we get for today. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to be overzealous and try and cram too much in and then lose focus or impact on specific points from chapter two. So let's light this candle. First Corinthians chapter two beginning at verse 1, from the complete Jewish Bible. As for me, brothers, when I arrived among you, it was not with surpassing eloquence or wisdom that I came announcing to you the previously concealed truth about God. For I had decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Yeshua the Messiah, and even him only as someone who had been executed on a stake as a criminal. Also, I myself was with you as somebody weak, nervous, and shaking all over from fear. And neither the delivery nor the content of my message relied on compelling words of wisdom, but on a demonstration of the power of the Spirit, so that your trust might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power." Yet there is a wisdom that we are speaking to those who are mature enough for it, but it is not the wisdom of this world or this world's leaders who are in the process of passing away. On the contrary, we are communicating a secret wisdom from God which has been hidden until now, but which, before history began, God had decreed would bring us glory not one of this world's leaders has understood it, because if they had, they would not have executed the Lord from whom this glory flows. But as the Tanakh says, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no one's heart has imagined all the things that God has prepared for those who love him. 
It is to us, however, that God has revealed these things. How? Through the Spirit. For the Spirit probes all things, even the profoundest depths of God. For who knows the inner workings of a person except the person's own spirit inside him? So, too, one know, no one knows the inner workings of God except God's Spirit. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God, so that we might understand the things God has so freely given us. These are the things we are talking about when we avoid the manner of speaking that human wisdom would dictate, and instead use a manner of speaking taught by the Spirit, by which we explain the things of the Spirit to the people who have the Spirit. Now, the natural man does not receive things from the Spirit of God. To him, they are nonsense. Moreover, he is unable to grasp them because they are evaluated through the Spirit. But the person who has the Spirit can evaluate everything, while no one is in a position to evaluate him. For who has known the mind of Adonai? Who will counsel him? But we have the mind of the Messiah. In this portion of the letter, Paul, Shaul, reveals something I find interesting. Because I always perceive Paul as this bold, fearless, iron-willed preacher of the gospel. Right? I mean, he was at one place, he was stoned. They, they stoned and they thought they killed him. They thought they stoned him to death. They went back into their town. Paul gets up, shakes, <laughs> shakes all the, the, the rocks and gravel and dust off of himself and walks right back into that same town. It's like, okay, that brother's kind of gangsta. I mean, he is, he's got it going on. He is bold, fearless. Well, here he reminds the people of this community that since he was not relying on the vast amount of knowledge and wisdom he had accumulated over the years, he was as one who was weak, nervous, and trembling with fear when he came to them. He didn't come to them with an eloquent presentation, with excellency of speech, but that he came to them knowing only the Messiah and him crucified. Now, some of this may have had to do with the language barrier. Most historians agree that Paul, Shaul's grasp on Greek was rudimentary at best on the, on the Greek language. It was very, he had a very basic grasp of the language. And I believe that this ties into the wisdom of Hashem, which would appear foolish to man. Why would you send a guy with limited understanding of the language of that area, the Greek language, to be the apostle to the Gentiles who primarily spoke that language? Doesn't make sense to the natural mind that you would send that dude into that group of people. The apostle would not be able to rely on what he perceived to be his own strength that of a very convincing, persuasive orator of the faith. He would have to simplify his message. And I believe Paul's fear was that he, he would not be able to properly convey the message 
he was sent to preach without his polished presentation. He had to set that aside. And remember, in the opening of this letter, Paul points out that the Jewish people primarily looked for signs to identify the Messiah, and the Greeks sought wisdom, logic, and reason. So Paul's overly simplistic presentation of the gospel was counterintuitive to how the primary group of people he was speaking to would normally receive things. And you can listen to the the previous episode, Nobody's Fool is the title of it, um, and it speaks more of the foolishness of God versus the wisdom of man. Check that out when you have time. Thank you. The apostle declares he did not rely on man's wisdom, but on the power of the Spirit. This way, the people would be less likely to want to seek after Paul's wisdom, Paul and his wisdom, the wisdom of man, but they would hunger for the power of Adonai Elohim, the Lord our God. Paul says he came to these people with a demonstration of the power of the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God. He came with a demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God. Now, he doesn't elaborate on this display. Or maybe he does. Was it a miracle of some kind? Perhaps a healing or a casting out of a demon? He doesn't specifically spell it out for us. But I believe even in what he says in this portion of chapter 2, kind of sheds some light on it because he is reliant on, on the Spirit, and not only within himself, but that the Holy Spirit would be within the people hearing his message. And so there is power in that connection when you hear someone relaying the mysteries of God by the Spirit. If you have his Spirit in you, there is power in that, and and you must acknowledge, okay, that can only be coming from Hashem. That's my understanding. And and there may be something more to that demonstration of power. And as we read through the, the rest of this letter, let's keep our eyes open. Perhaps he does give some insight later. I'm, I'm not certain that he does um, as I've gone through the letter, but I'm going to keep more of an alert eye out um, on this point. And it may be that I've just missed something. At any rate, Paul was not presenting from his comfort zone. This was not his wheelhouse, which is exactly what Hashem wanted. This way, the apostle would have to be solely dependent on El Elyon, the Most High, to share this life-saving message. And he could only brag and boast on Adonai for this, for what was going on there. So, the apostle goes on. Yet there is a wisdom that we are speaking to those who are mature enough for it. But it's not the wisdom of this world or of this world's leaders who are in the process of passing away. On the contrary, we are communicating a secret wisdom from God which has been hidden until now. Before history began, God had decreed would bring us to glory. Not one of this world's leaders... Not one of this world's leaders has understood it, because if they had, they would not have executed the Lord from whom this glory flows. 
But as the Tanakh says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no one under, and no one's heart has imagined all the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Paul quotes the prophet Isaiah here, and this, I believe, you, him using this statement also ties in with Yeshua's use of a different quote from Isaiah. They, they tie together when the master said that uh, the people have ears but do not hear, and they have eyes but do not see. They don't perceive these things. And Paul does state that there are some who are mature enough to grasp hold of the wisdom of Hashem, even as Yeshua would occasionally say, let those who have ears to hear and eyes to see receive what is being said. It is not widely accepted. The wisdom of Hashem is not widely accepted. The reality is, it could not be widely accepted at that time. And Paul discusses this in his letter to the Romans, uh, to Roman believers, because had the Jewish people wholeheartedly accepted Yeshua as the Messiah and King of Israel, the Gentiles would not have had access to this salvation. The message would not have gone out to the rest of the world. And Paul points out here that if the rulers of this world or in the first century, if they had eyes to see and ears to hear the things, they never would have crucified Yeshua. And how important is the execution, the crucifixion, and then the resurrection of Yeshua? It's infinitely important. And we can't, we can't even really quantify its value except to say that it is eternally and infinitely vital the crucifixion and resurrection. So the blindness and the ignorance of many led to the salvation of so many more. This is the wisdom of the Holy One. Blessed be he. Paul follows up on the revelation of this wisdom, which is so contrary to the logic and reason of man. It is to us, however, that God has revealed these things. How? Through the Spirit. For the Spirit probes all things, even the profoundest depths of God. For who knows the inner workings of a person except the person's own spirit inside him? So, too, no one knows the inner workings of God except God's Spirit. Now, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God, so that we might understand the things God has so freely given us. The apostle states that the wisdom of Hashem, that being the crucifixion of the Messiah, which would make no sense to Jews seeking a sign of the promised Messiah, or to Greeks seeking earthly wisdom and logic. This wisdom, the wisdom of God, was revealed to them by the Spirit of Elohim, the Spirit of God. Our spirit, our neshama, knows our inner workings, our hungers, our desires, our needs, etc. So too, the spirit of Elohim knows the inner workings, wisdom, and desires of the Holy One, blessed be He. When we are born again and receive a measure of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, we gain a glimpse into the wisdom of Hashem. Scriptures Scriptures explain that Yeshua had the Spirit 
without measure, which is why he still confounds the minds of his own followers. We have a portion. He has the whole. Now, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God, so that we might understand the things of God, the things God has so freely given us. Our minds understand our minds understanding and perspective change when they are invaded by the Holy Spirit. Our eyes are open to the greater reality. Paul continues. These are the things we are talking about when we avoid the manner of speaking that human wisdom would dictate and instead use a manner of speaking taught by the Spirit, by which we explain things of the Spirit to people who have the Spirit. Those who have the Holy Spirit can receive and understand God's wisdom. Now, the natural man does not receive the things from the Spirit of God. To him, they are nonsense. Moreover, he, the natural man, is unable to grasp them because they are evaluated through the Spirit. But the person who has the Spirit can evaluate everything, while no one is in a position to evaluate him who has the Spirit. I put some of my own interpolation in there, just for clarification's sake. As you read through, you'll see and be able to determine what was my interpolations. But again, the person who has the Spirit can evaluate everything, while no one is in a position to evaluate him who has the Spirit. For who has known the mind of Adonai? Who will counsel him? But we have the mind of the Messiah. Because of the gift of Hashem, the impartation of His Spirit into us, we have the ability to see beyond the wisdom and understanding of man, and we behold the beauty and wisdom of God Most High, El Elyon, propelling us to walk in faith in Him versus walking in the strength of our own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is an often quoted passage from Scripture but it is a rarely practiced passage. Trust in Adonai with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. Then he will level your paths. Oswald Chambers says, My misgivings arise from the fact that I search within to find how he, God, will do what he says. My doubts spring from the depths of my own inferiority if I detect these misgivings in myself, I should bring them into the light and detect these if uh, I should bring them into the light and confess them openly. Lord, I have had misgivings about you. I have not believed in your abilities, but only my own. And I have not believed in your almighty power apart from my finite understanding of it. That is a powerful statement and confession, and it's one that, that I have leaned on and will continue to lean on when I put my faith in my own abilities and in my own resources and limit what the Almighty can do based on what I believe I can do. When we limit God to what we see as our strengths and resources, we will always come up short. We'll settle.
we won't open the door or step out in faith. If Paul relied on his strengths, we honestly probably would not be talking about him or reading anything he wrote as inspired. It would not have worked. His way, his, his strengths would not have applied well. They would not have translated well in the situation that Adonai had led him. We, we wouldn't even know this guy. And I do want to, I want to circle back. There's um, towards the end of this chapter, Paul again quotes from Isaiah, for who has known the mind of Adonai, who will counsel him? But we have the mind of Messiah. So just a, a brief point here. Paul is not contradicting what was said by the prophet for who has known the mind of Adonai, who will counsel him? But we have the mind of Messiah. That's how some read this, saying basically that that, that, that has some application, but we um, have the mind of Messiah. So in, in a sense, we can counsel uh, Adonai. And that's definitely not what Paul is saying here. We have, I would say, this is another case of that conjunction-junction, what's your function, where the Greek conjunction, where we see the word but, it could very easily be the word and. For who has known the mind of Adonai, who will counsel him, and we have the mind of Messiah. And more of a, more of a flow and a continuation of it, not a, not a contrast or contradiction of what was spoken by the prophet. We have, we do, those who have the spirit do have greater insight into the, the mind and the workings of, and the leading of Hashem. Yes, we, we don't counsel him. Sorry, that was a little bit of a rabbit trail there, but that stuck out to me as something that I have heard misused in the past. So I just wanted to bring light to that and and uh you know moving forward as i get off the rabbit trail i i just want to say i want to, i want to testify that in my own life i am learning this truth in a very humbling manner that um you know relying on my own strengths and abilities um where i'm comfortable and thinking that that is that is always where God is going to put me to do His work, and that just isn't the case. And my my preference, and this may be rare, but my preference, honestly, is speaking in front of groups. I like to speak in front of groups; it's my comfort zone. And it's again contrary to the way a lot of people feel. I feel safer. I feel certainly. I receive more validation in presenting to groups if I hear the roar of the crowd or everyone laughing together. Get you know the responses to what I'm saying. That's a you know personal validation which I shouldn't be seeking. But also I'm just more comfortable. I am I am less comfortable. My fear is in one-on-one -on -one settings, and it's due to my own personal insecurities, letting people in. And, and uh, you know, people pressing or questioning me or anything like that. And so I have, uh, that's where my struggle has been because of my own personal insecurities. In his wisdom, Hashem has put me in a position where I now sit basically 
locked in an office for an hour at a time with individuals, men and women, who struggle with addiction. I cannot say, well, yep, this is what I've been training for all my life. As far as my own natural training, yes, I believe Hashem has been preparing me for it, but in a way that is so contrary to my own understanding. I can't say like, yeah, this is my wheelhouse, my comfort zone, because it's just not. And at times I I even feel like crawling out of my own skin. I can only trust Adonai for something good to happen in those sessions. And when it does, I can only boast on him. And there are times when I have said something or asked a question and my rational brain after the words come out of my mouth is like, well, why would you even ask that? Why would you say that to this person? And then there is a miraculous breakthrough for that individual. And, you know, the, the fleeting temptation or thought of, wow, I need to remember that. That was good stuff. It's quickly dissolved by the recollection that it is the spirit of Elohim who is working in and through me to work in and through the lives of these people. And I can only give thanks to Hashem and remain humble. And in in sharing this, I honestly, I'm hoping that it doesn't come across as me bragging because I'm simply testifying to the work of Hashem, which is beyond my own capabilities and my own comforts, my own strengths. And I remind myself that I've done nothing to earn or deserve the opportunity that I have been given in the work I do. It is my hope that in realizing this and holding on to that revelation that I will always remain grateful for the opportunities he has given me. I can look in the rearview mirror and see so much of this in my life. Baruch Hashem, just where he, he has put opportunities that I, that I should not have had, honestly, by, by man's standards and by the natural appearance of things. And he has opened doors for me. And I just step back and am amazed and in awesome wonder of what he does. And I uh, thank you, Abba. Blowing kisses to my father. I am so thankful. And so I, I just encourage you, please take time to reflect on the many blessings and opportunities Adonai has given you that you have not deserved or earned. This is his grace. This is his favor in your life. And also, please take time to consider and to reflect on, to pour over any areas where you are limiting the hand of God because you're focused on your own resources and strengths, your bank account, your abilities, and so on. Those are not a reflection of the infinite resources of heaven obtainable by walking in faith in a right relationship with Hashem through Yeshua. We have so much more than what we have if we will surrender and just let him do his work in and through us and allow him to lead. There is a lost and dying world who desperately need the bread of life, Yeshua the Messiah. May we not limit ourselves in revealing this bread to others based on what we see as our personal strengths or resources. Let us go out and give them heaven. And until next time, may the favor the Master Yeshua the Messiah found in the eyes of Hashem be upon you and all your household. 
and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, reign in your hearts and minds in the Messiah Yeshua. Grace and peace. Cain Shalom.